Hello. QueerAF is now an independent community interest company. Our podcast's first four seasons were funded by National Student Pride, and so there might be some old calls to action in them. For the most up-to-date info on our podcast that funds budding LGBTQIA plus audio producers, visit wearequeeraf.com and sign up for our free weekly newsletter that sums up the LGBTQIA plus world and supports queer creatives kickstart their career. Enjoy the show. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to this week's Hashtag Queer AF. I'm Jamie Wareham. Usually, we play a story to you, presented and produced by a different LGBT plus reporter, who we mentor, and for many is their first audio commission. But as a project of National Student Pride, this week's episode is a live podcast recording from a National Student Pride event. This episode was recorded on the main stage at NSP 2020 and features BBC broadcaster and Student Pride ambassador Evan Davis interviewing Oscar-winning screenwriter Dustin Lance Black and UK Black Pride's Lady Phil. Enjoy. Hello, welcome. Welcome to the main stage here. Welcome if you're watching at home on the live stream. Uh, Welcome to the Queer AF podcast special live uh, edition of that. I am incredibly pleased to be here. I'm Evan Davis. I'm a BBC broadcaster. I host the PM programme on Radio 4 each afternoon at five o'clock. Please join me there. I'm an ambassador for National Student Pride. I'm very proud to be attached to it. And for this half hour, we have two of the most thoughtful uh, and well-connected names in the LGBTQ plus world. They campaign, they get things done, And what I want to do for this half hour is for us to discuss where we are and where we're going. So kind of we're loosely calling it what next for the LGBTQ plus community and communities. A lot has happened in recent years. Uh, Battles fought, battles won. Uh, There are still battles to be fought and there are still battles to be won. So this is a good chance to take stock with two of the best names in the business. Let me introduce them. Nearest to me, Lady Phil. Some of you will have seen her on the women's panel earlier. Phil Apokujima, uh, co-founder and director of Black Pride, which has become a mega phenomenon uh, and an executive director of a group called Kaleidoscope. And we're going to hear more about that lady uh, later. Lady Phil, you're not a lady in the Baroness sense. You turned down an MBE, actually, didn't you? Just tell us what the thinking was. They write you a letter and say, we're going to make you an MBE. And you said, no, I don't want it. Right. Evan's put me on the spot. Yeah, come on. I didn't think that was going to be a question. So thank you, Evan. So um, do any of you know what an MBE is? Yeah, so it's the member of the British Empire. And when I was approached and nominated for it, this word empire comes with what I see as a very toxic legacy. And given that I work with people who I serve, who are black and brown people of different generations who have experienced 
um, discrimination to a greater or lesser degree in their countries, um, being LGBT people, whereby they're tortured, persecuted. I couldn't possibly accept anything that elevated itself over the people I serve. So I said to the Queen, thank you, but no thank you. From one Queen to another, obviously. But... <laughs> and that's when we... That's when everyone started calling you Lady Phil, is that right? So you yes. became a Lady Phil. Um, okay, sitting next to Lady Phil, Dustin Lance Black, hardly needs any introduction, Oscar-winning screenwriter, great friend of National Student Pride, uh, most famous for Milk, J. Edgar, these are movies you might have seen, almost famous, almost as famous uh, for his family life with husband, uh, who you might have heard of, is a diver called Tom Daly. Uh, and now increasingly famous, their child, Robbie, Robbie Black Daly. Um, and, and Lance, you're living, are you basically now living in London? Is that, is that what I take? Yeah, <clears throat> for like half a decade now. Yeah. I think but, about uh, five years. But you go back to the States all the time, presumably. Sure. This, I'm getting the easy questions. No, well, I'm yeah. about to ask yeah. you the harder one. Right. There's like back. a softball pitch so, there. Yes, so no, like, I go back to LA so, a good bit. So just, just compare and contrast in 30 seconds, sure. this is only the introduction, right. compare and contrast LGBTQ plus rights and status in the US and in the UK. Oh, well, I mean, it's, a, it's in many ways, even in the United States where we have made such great strides for equality, we still look to the UK as our beacon of hope. That's the truth. Because in the United States, one of the problems is we do not have federal protections when it comes to housing and employment. So your rights, if you drove from Los Angeles to Miami or to New York and you cross the country, your rights as an LGBTQ person are going to change every time you change, cross a, straight, a state line. Which to me, that kind of checkerboard nation is not equality. That means there's some areas where you're free and some areas where you're not free. Now, uh, for the most part in the UK, that is not true. I know that there are some places that still need some catching up. Uh, but uh, for, for the most part, you cannot be fired or kicked out of your home for being gay. And in the majority of the United States, you still can't. Right. Okay, we might come back to, to that comparison. I, what I just want to start with, because both of you are very prominent people, I would even go as far as to say you may be inspirations to the, to the audience. I want to know just a little bit of personal history. We'll start with you, Lance, okay? A little piece of personal history that made you what you are in terms of being an activist, a campaigner, not just being, you know, queer, gay, living the life, but actually leading from the front. Well, I mean, I... I, I... It's twofold for me. It's watching my mother's experience and then living in mine. Uh, I'll start with my mom. My mom was paralyzed from polio from two years old on. Uh, she could not move anything from the chest down. She had severe scoliosis, so she looked very, very different. And she was judged every time she stepped out of the house. Uh, this is a woman who was told she would never fall in love, never have an education, never have a job, would just live off the government her whole life. And I watched her disprove that. Get an education and retire running one of the most esteemed labs in the United States of America where the President of the United States goes for care. Now she was being judged for how she looked. Not by the content of her character and her mind and her soul and her strength. And that burned me up inside. 
So I think watching her is what gave me a sense of, of, of what justice ought to be. And then, of course, I'm this queer kid born in San Antonio, Texas, which is very conservative, in the Mormon church, which is incredibly conservative, right? <laughs> and in a military home, which is very conservative. So from the age of six, when I first had a crush on the boy down the street, I knew what I was because I had words for it, right? Some kids growing up don't know what they are because they don't have words for some time. I knew I was, I, I think I can't say a lot of these words because this is streaming, but I, I knew I was a lot, you know, I knew I was a faggot. I knew I was a sinner and a deviant. I knew I was going to hell. I knew that at the time I was a criminal. And if anyone found out, I would very likely be put into a medical situation where I might have gone through electroshock therapy or at the very least conversion therapy. And conversion therapy's number one outcome is suicide. So growing up with that experience, of course, because I was lucky enough to survive, I don't want other kids ever going through it. We gotta put a stop to it. And, and as a student of history, I had a window into what some of those solutions might look like, how we've solved some of these things in the past when confronted with injustice. And if you are out at sea and someone falls over the boat and you got a life preserver, you have a responsibility to use it. And I tell my agents that every time I turn down a job <laughs> to, to do something like this. Okay. Lady Phil, what about you? So I think that's really interesting and I didn't know that about your mother. For myself, I think just by virtue of being born black in Britain, uh, a period where we're talking about racism and fascism, which were very, very prevalent, it wasn't about my sexuality or sexual identity uh, or orientation. It was a period at which when I was in Enfield Town and I was mm, about 10 years old and there was a group of NFs which is called the National Front, marching and parading down the street. And I was with my friend called Haley, and Haley was blonde hair, blue eyes, and we had this little old dear woman. She came with her tartan trolley, which I'll never forget, and she said, if I was you, I would get in that shop front. Shop front. And I said, why? She said, because the people coming down don't like your sorts. Get out the way, basically. Get out the way. And it was from then that I recognized that my experience to Haley's would be very different. But then fast forward that, and I, and I make a point about mentioning the race factor because it's a very real lived experience of what I go through day to day, is when I did come out, you know, I have a 25-year-old daughter. Yes, we can stop for a moment. I look so good, right? Uh, Evan, we're going to try that again. I look so good, right? <laughs> no, honestly, it's, it's, I am, I'm, I'm like, I'm less than a foot stroking. away and there is not a line on this face. Oh, I love what she's I'll record you, I'll pay you later. But, you know, really, in, when, I, when I did come out, um, and as somebody who conformed to what society said should be man and a woman together. I come from a very religious background. Um, my mother is the sort of hyacinth bouquet of Ghana. You know, she is really on the ball about this is wrong, that is wrong. When I came out, it was very much, I've sinned, I've hurt people, I've brought shame on the family. And 
I had to be busy being black and busy being queer. I had to find out where my spaces were. I had to find out how I coexist or even reconcile my faith, belief, religion with the fact that I'm a black woman in society who is often marginalized, not often, who is marginalized. So I had to deal with double whammy, triple whammy factors of my own identities and how they played out in several different institutions, whether it was working, whether it was school, whether it was just society at large. So my activism took shape from how my life had taken so shape. Personal journey in a way my personal that, journey yeah. is prominent. Right. I mean, I'm really interested. Let, let's start a kind of conversation about where we are by just talking about how far we've come. I mean, for each of you, you've seen a lot change, right, in your lifetime, as far as LGBTQ plus respect, legal rights. I just wonder what you think the kind of landmark, the biggest thing that's, what's been the thing that sort of sticks out as being, wow, that, I didn't think that would happen, or, that really did change something? What, 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 what would it be, each of you? <clears throat> I mean, for me, but I have a, you know, I was a, a part of this, so my impression of it is from my perspective, but it was um, winning marriage equality at the federal level, meaning the entire nation in the United the States. Supreme Court, at mean, the Supreme yeah. Court. At the Supreme Court. And that was not something almost anyone in the LGBTQ movement in America thought was possible within our lifetime. Um, and, uh, and, you know, it took, I was a part of it, I'm bragging a little bit, but it was four of us who decided to sue the state of California in federal court, uh, following in the footsteps of civil rights movements before us that showed us that that's how you have to do it, is demand the full thing, not crumbs, not equality in this state, that state, this city, that city. And, and in fact, it sent this message we didn't anticipate working, but I should have, because my good uh, uncle in Texas, I can just hear his voice saying now, Lancer, like, why are you out there just demanding equality in, in California? You're demanding crumbs, you must think awfully low of yourself. And I realized that by finally demanding the full thing, similar to, to, to standing up to the bully in a schoolyard fight, even though you know you're going to get your tail whooped, that by demanding the full thing, we had won the respect of people we never thought we would win their respect. And we watched how the numbers changed in the United States from a majority opposed to marriage equality to a majority in yeah. favor of marriage equality by the time we got to the Supreme Court. And of course then, we won the cases we needed to win to get there. Yeah. I will say it's unexpected uh, because yes, it was a celebration, but it was also kind of out of order. Let's be honest, I still think the thing we probably needed first was to make sure we were safe in our homes and our jobs. So we won marriage equality before we won the right to have a home right. or a job. And here's why I think that's actually dangerous, and it might speak to where we need to go around the world, which is I think the most dangerous part about not having housing and employment education, yes, it means you might lose your job and you might lose your home, but what it really means is you and your children and your family members are afraid that that might happen, so you're not out there sharing your story. You're not out there in an open fashion, dispelling the myths and the lies and the stereotypes of who we are. You're not able to be that critical uh, piece of our movement. That narrative piece of our movement would change hearts and minds. And that is what I, 
I, I'm shocked we got marriage equality first. I'm pleased that we did, but I actually think we now have to go back. Right, go back and start, and start I have again. to say, marriage equality would be the one I would pick just because I would never have conceived it. Never, ever conceived it. Indeed, would have just, I would have laughed at you when I was 20 if you'd told me that, that it would be in my lifetime. I just well, wouldn't I never have, thought I was going to get married. I, 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 just, I would have laughed at you. I could not conceive. Couldn't conceive. So, I want to just touch on this marriage equality, and I will tell you what I believe is a, a great achievement. But I work with amazing trailblazing activists around the world. And whilst I am absolutely for marriage equality, like you said, they are fighting for their lives. So marriage equality is not the end goal for them, because when you think about it, when you're tortured, persecuted, and killed just by virtue of loving somebody who you choose to love, dead people can't get married. And that, for me, is something that rings true with the work that I do with Kaleidoscope Trust. You have to be able to sound the, fertilize the ground so laws protect people so that they can access health, water. They can make sure that they've got land. But... You know, you're absolutely right. It's great, and it's, it's something to triumph about. But I keep on saying, dead people cannot yeah. get married. What would you say? I mean, what, is there something you would cite, Lady Phil, that you'd say, that was, like, amazing? I didn't... Absolutely. There are so many achievements, you know, from Botswana, decriminalization, where they are free to be who they are. However, there's still a lot of work to be done. But if I bring it back to home, I would say one of the greatest achievements that I've seen for queer people of colour, black people in this country, is UK Black Pride. UK Black Pride has created a space for people to be to celebrate, to have chosen family, to look at the various intersections at where it meets, whether they are um, Muslim, whether they are uh, you know, trans people, whether they are migrants, refugees. It's a place of celebration, but it's a place where we challenge not only homophobia, biphobia, transphobia, but we also challenge systemic and structural racism that exists. And to be told, because we will be 15 years this year, to be told 15 years ago that you will never have a black pride in this country, when you tell me no, my ancestors speak through me, and they say yes, and that's why we have 10,000 people at our pride celebrating. And it's got bigger and bigger. I have... I have watched it getting bigger. I'm just going to, I'm just going to mention something, because actually there's a thing called the British Social Attitude Survey. It's the same questions, largely, every year, going back to 1983. In 1983, people were asked what they thought of same-sex relationships. And they were given the option, they're not wrong at all, i.e. fine. In 1983, 17% thought they were fine. Um, and last year it was two-thirds, 67%. There's been a real, real change over the years. Okay, there's still a third who, who, who come in one of the other boxes, but, but two-thirds say it's fine. Right, what's next? What is the big one? Lady Phil. So first focus on the UK, because we'll, we'll come back to Kaleidoscope and its work around the world. UK, what's the challenge? What remains? Okay, so... 
there's so much to do. And sometimes people often think I'm angry and I'm not. I'm just assertive and I'm passionate about the injustice that is happening. We, I mentioned on the women panel that we have to show solidarity to one another and we have to understand that, you know, your struggle is my struggle and my struggle is your struggle. But when you have in this country hostile environments whereby black and brown people are being deported after the wind rush, which some of them happen to be queer people. When you have Muslim siblings having their hijabs ripped off of them, when you have people who are not able to speak freely or even access or reach a certain level in the workplace because of that structural and systemic racism that exists, I think that that's what we need to look at. When you have the toxic and polarizing debate around our trans siblings' lives, that is what we have to deal with next. And it's not going to happen if we don't self-organize, but it's also not going to happen if we are sitting here time and time again saying, oh yes, it's terrible. We have got to actively come together and say, you know, I am going to stand up with you. When you are holding a Black Lives Matter placard, I'm going to be stood shoulder to shoulder, side by side with you. Because I can't do this by myself. The black community can't do it by itself. The queer community can't do it by itself. Or I should say communities can't do it by itself. Women cannot do it by themselves. So we have to actively and meaningfully engage. There's something that I heard from a, a, a man called Bissy Alamy. He talked about allies is great, but there's something about social disruptors. And when you disrupt the the status quo, when you start looking at what needs to be dismantled, when you start looking at class and socioeconomic, all of the other factors come into play. And I think that, no, I think I know that's what has to be done. We cannot look at things in isolation. Yes, our international siblings, it has an impact on what we do here. Yes, equal marriage, we have to support that as well, you know, in its right space. Yes, decriminalization, but we also have to think about decriminalization of sex workers, people who are living a certain life, but we have to think about youth homelessness, poverty, all of that comes into play. So I, I you know, I, I get you're carried busy. away yeah. and I <laughs> yeah. am passionate about it. No, I don't think you're it. carried away at all. You know, I think you're on, I, sorry. No, no, it's, I, I, fine. I think, I mean, I think what you're talking about is the key to queer political power. Mm -hmm. It is the key to being able to pass the legislation that will make us all safe, change the society in ways that make us all safe, and create equal opportunity. And it just takes a good look at history to see that the times in which the us's, as my hero Harvey Milk called them, people who are treated differently under the law and by society, not just queer, he wasn't just talking about LGBTQ people, but that the us's have to form coalitions that are then politically powerful, right? Because no minority or politically disenfranchised group can win at the ballot box alone, like you were just saying. Interrupt because I think that I want people to know here today something that Lance did. Close to your mic, my yeah, mouth, yeah. Okay, it's a bit you know, a bit challenging, but yeah, I try. <laughs> but oh, something God. that Lance did is when this panel, this this conversation with Evan was taking place, the first thing that he said is, 
I want Lady Field to be in conversation with us. Do you know what that meant for me? And you know, I, I don't want to get overly emotional, but when you are a black woman in society that is often sidelined and somebody uses their privilege as a white cis gay man to say, you know what, I'm going to create space because this is not about me. He has used what's his power and his privilege to make sure that I have my voice heard here. And that is what's next. That is what needs to happen because without that, we can't build the coalition. She's going to make me cry. You're going to make me cry. Thank very, you. Very, very <laughs> Okay, but <clears throat> Lance, I'm, 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 I'm going to challenge you slightly. Please. Because if you create a a rainbow coalition, and solidarity clearly really important. Is the experience from the US, maybe from here, that that, that is still not going to be enough? Is the experience that what you need to do is you need to talk to people in the shires, you need to talk to... You yes, but you reach... Yes, of so, course. So it's got to go way beyond, if you like, the marginalised groups. Because you'll end up with a conversation to each other. I'll use it, and you need use more than that. Let me use an example, because I don't want you to. There are plenty of queer people and people who are being treated differently uh, under the law and by society. Women out in the shires. So I don't know what you mean. The yeses are everywhere. So a, a good. I have a million of these examples. Uh, but what it usually means is LGBTQ people showing up for others. This is not about just begging other people to show up for us. One of the great examples, I'll start with Milk and then I'll go to me. Milk did not get elected because queer people voted for him. There weren't enough, even in the districts he was running in. How did he do it? He stood up for the union beer drivers in California and made all the gays stop drinking Coors beer until they agreed to pay a living wage to those union drivers. And they shut, and course fell from number one to like number 10 and has never climbed its way back. And guess what? Those union boys still vote yes on LGBTQ issues today. That's how he did it. He also went to the Chinese community in San Francisco and said, we're going to make sure that the ballot is in Chinese. So you're not being alienated from the ballot. When we are fighting for marriage equality and equality in the United States, Utah, home of my people, Mormon people who had financed the anti-gay marriage initiatives, the people in Utah said, we want to win some of these votes and push equality forward in a place like Utah. I'm like, good luck. That's about as red and it's different in America, as conservative as you can get. How are you going to do it? You know what they did? They, had these, they have these LGBTQ groups, right? And they're very diverse, right there in the middle of Salt Lake. They put on their biggest rainbow jackets, scarves, buttons, all of that, and waited for the first snowfall, and went down to the seniors' communities and started shoveling their driveways. They didn't have to be asked. They just did it. And when those seniors came out of their home and said, my goodness, thank you, but what is it that you want? They said, nothing. We want you to know that we exist in your community. That's it. And guess what? Salt Lake City is the first red state to ever pass non-discrimination legislation. You can't get fired for being gay in, in Utah. You cannot lose your job or your home in Utah. And in fact, they just were the 19th state to ban conversion therapy. Did it happen because they were saying, hey, Mormon seniors, come help us? No, they went out and got busy and shoveled some damn driveways. Right? What is it that you can do for other groups that are in need? 
And guess what? I don't care where you live, even if it's in the Shire, I don't quite know what that even means. <laughs> but there are people in need, and queer folks can go help those people and rebuild the coalitions. I love that as an LGBT person in our very diverse community, that we are all trying to figure out how very different we are, how differently we're treated. Right? Our very different needs. And it is true, I have far more privilege than you do, or that some of our trans brothers and sisters do. But at the end of the day, we have to come back together. Investigate your differences, it is valuable and it will help guide your work. But you do not win a prize at the end of the day for proving you were treated worse. I wish you did, but you don't. It is not the discrimination Olympics. What is hard, what must be done is once you know what you need to change is you have to reach out to other people and build those bridges and build those coalitions in strong fashions so you can win even at the ballot box. That's a very, very interesting set of advice. We don't have a lot of time. Lady Phil, I'd love you to just respond to that. Those examples are really interesting and there are examples about a generosity of spirit, really, of getting outside your box. So, in my day job, outside of UK Black Pride, I'm the, um, the executive director of Kaleidoscope Trust, as you mentioned. Kaleidoscope Trust is an organization which seeks to embrace a world where LGBT plus people around the world are free from discrimination. So what we do from the perspective of being from the global north and going into global south countries in the region of Africa, Asia, Caribbean, Pacific, we are, one, taking our expertise and knowledge, but also recognizing our privilege from the global north, because even I have to check my privilege. And we're going into countries which some may call hostile environments, but we call it where there are colonial era laws that reside in those countries. And trying to look at various ways of removing discriminatory laws which do not allow people access to health, water, um, to education, clean sanitation, women's rights as well. And we come together in a way where we're looking at the money which the governments give, which is about, you know, whether it's from Theresa May made a deep regret for the colonial era laws that existed in various countries, and that deep regret, some interpreted it as an apology. It was a way of acknowledging why we have very, very different and disproportionate impact of laws that happen in, let's take St. Lucia, for example, let's take Uganda, in fact, let's take Uganda. We've got Uganda where people are being arrested, beaten up, tortured, put in prison, and have no right to any legal justice or access because it's illegal to be LGBT in that country. So building the coalitions is us working with Global South organizations and making sure that we can do our bits because most of these colonial era laws came from Britain. 
And it's recognizing that. And in doing that, Kaleidoscope Trust ensures that it works with diplomats, high commissioners, um, other governments to look at our entry points at having the initial discussions around changing laws. But not just legal reform, which legal reform is the end game, but it's all of the parts at the bottom which allow people access to justice. And that is the coalition building that we do. And for me, I feel absolutely honored that I get to work for an organization which is changing hearts and minds, changing laws in countries so that whilst I recognize what's happening here, it's also about the freedoms and justice that people in the global south need to have too. And there's a lot to be done. We need to finish. I'm just going to ask you each a last one. Whether you're, you know, the world has changed a lot in the last 20 years. There have been some good things. There have been some not such good things for LGBTQ plus people. Are you broadly speaking optimistic for the next 20 years? Just a couple of sentences each. Do you, think it's going, do you think it's going in the right direction? I mean, you know, the United uh, States uh, is in the uh, middle of a most incredible culture war lines. Uh, it's obviously... I challenge the question because you're asking me to predict the future. Yeah. And what I'm going to say is the future is up to you guys out there in the audience right now. And I don't mean that in sort of a BSE way. It truly is. Are, do you have a vision that looks better than where we are today? Can you see it in your head? Do you have at least one action you can take to make it possible? If I get most of the people, actually forget that. If I get even a small group of people in here nodding their head, yes, I'm hopeful. Because that's how you create the future. I mean, we must have hope. Hope is what fuels progress. So yes, we must. Lady Phil, you get the last word. I have hope, absolute hope, because I'm still sitting here today whilst others are not. But I think that there's something, we're at Student Pride and there's a lot of young people in this room. You know, and I've always said, it's a saying that my mum has, you do not inherit this land from your parents. You borrow it from the next generation. So we need to be having the intergenerational conversation and supporting the next generation of leaders so that they can continue the good work because it's not going to be over tomorrow. And that is what we have started doing here. I think you've had some really, really interesting food for thought there. Let's thank our two guests, Lady Phil, Dustin, Lance Black. Thank you both very much. Thanks for listening to Hashtag Career. If this live episode is the first time that you're coming to us, we'd love if you subscribed and check out some of our older episodes too. Coming up after this short intermission, we have our trailer for the season four, so you can find out what we're all about. But first, thanks to Rendezvous Productions and Twisted Melon for making this live stream and therefore recording possible. Executive production on this episode and interview was by me, Jimmy Wareham. And it wouldn't have been possible at all without the entire National Student Pride team or volunteers who give their time to make the fantastic event happen. Thank you. Stay with us for the trailer of what you can usually hear from our podcast. We are Hashtag Korea, and so are you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. 
You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Why do I always end up with the sex-themed podcast? Hashtag QueerF is back for season four. With more LGBT plus reporters than ever. Like Rosa from Bristol. I have a confession to make. I don't really feel queer AF. Even though I've always fancied girls and people across the gender spectrum, I just managed to believe that because I also fancied boys, it didn't count. Jacob from Manchester. I want to go deeper into my personal life than ever before. Rory from Dublin. That's why it's still so hard for me to fathom wandering to a tube station at 5am high on drugs I'd been forced to take. I was living a real-life nightmare. Eve from Leeds. You said that Granny wasn't necessarily surprised that you'd lived a heterosexual life and at this point, obviously, you were divorced from a dad. I I guess you learned from that experience and helped me come to terms with whatever we were going through during that phase of, of life. With more stories about love. Yeah, slid into the DMs <laughs> and then yeah. the rest is history. Dating. <laughs> Every know, time right? I even, either dating or in a relationship. I really like dating. I love women. I love sex. I feel like I'm at AA meeting. And working out just who the hell we are. I have been in three relationships. Two of those with men and one with a woman. Identifying as pansexual, gender doesn't matter to me, but it seemed to have mattered a lot more to other people than it should have. Hashtag Queer AF, the podcast from National Student Pride. When you listen, you support the students, graduates and LGBT plus reporters we mentor to build their audio portfolio. In return, they tell you beautifully produced queer stories. I'm Jamie Wareham, and we're back in your podcast feed where you can get us for free every Monday from Jan 27th with a different LGBT plus reporter. Subscribe now on Spotify, Apple and podcast apps everywhere. We are hashtag queer AF. And so are you. <laughs>